Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Baker broadcast. Subhanallah. Uh, sincere apologies to our viewers and our listeners for the fact that we couldn't catch up with you last week. That was just because, mm. sadly, uh, Dr. Abdul Haq wasn't feeling very well. Alhamdulillah, inshallah ta'ala, he's fully recovered and we are back full on track, inshallah. Joining you again, uh, and to be honest with you, uh, and I'm sure Dr. Abdul Haq will probably echo a lot of this sentiment, missed you. Really, really missed you. You know, subhanAllah, you know, like last week, I was just thinking to myself, you know, there's no show and there's no dua. Like, you know, mashallah, when we interact with you and you, you give us duas and you know what, subhanAllah, you know, we, we, we live on these duas, inshallah, that people give us. So, alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair for tuning back in and joining us again on the Baker Broadcast Show, inshallah. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Abdul Haq. How are you today? And welcome back. Wa alaikum salam rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah, I want to um, say I missed the show and being away last week, and um, I'll ask everyone to forgive me. It's sometimes, as you know, you just need to recharge the battery. So it was one of those moments with, as you said, we got to balance. Allah doesn't burden the soul beyond what it can bear, but we sometimes overburden ourselves with our chores, our work, and everything like that. So it was a matter of just recharging some batteries, and I'm recharged and I'm back. Inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And inshallah, may Allah make it uh, beneficial for all of us, inshallah. Uh, Walaikum as salam, uh, Yahya. Uh, it's great, like I said, to be back. Uh, Sister Kira, assalamu alaikum. Uh, Sister Maryam, assalamu alaikum. Walaikum as salam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, Ibtissam, walaikum as salam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And so today, what are we talking about, Sulika? Uh, alhamdulillah, good to see you back, mashallah. We are talking about hope. And this is discussion for today, inshallah, what we're going to be discussing has come about because uh, for those of you that remember it, uh, some of you may remember it vividly, it's been 10 years uh, since the so-called Arab Spring when there was this idea of hope, of, of a new spring, of something fresh happening, of uh, the overthrowing of oppress oppressive regimes and the coming of a new dawn and the liberation of people. Uh, across the peninsula, northern Africa, up and towards the Middle East. And so, given the fact that it's been a decade, how have things evolved? Uh, and Yasmin, uh, how has this actually affected uh, what has come of it, what good has come of it, and where is the real hope and the desire? that we should be putting ourselves within and how do we navigate ourselves given all the complexities and the challenges that we've seen unearthed and uprooted over the last year, just this last 12 months, subhanAllah. And uh, yeah, inshallah ta'ala, with that introduction, I pass you back to Dr. Abdul Haq. Jazakallah khair. I think um, it's, it's a good topic it's a deep and complex topic to um, discuss. And, and those of us who remember, um, it, it's amazing that it's 10 years that has passed because what we saw with what occurred in Tunisia with the young man, the um, vendor, who was so distressed at the way he was being treated by the authorities um, that he self-immolated. He, he killed himself in that particular way. And we saw the uprising in Tunisia. Um, and I remember giving a khutbah. I was in London at the time and I gave a sermon. And while we know from the Sunnah what the position is regarding the wider issues that happened after that, not only in Tunisia, that spread to Egypt and beyond of revolting against rulership, Context was very important in all of this. Knowledge of what the Dean says concerning revolt was even more important in this particular instance. And a key factor also was to understand and empathize, and I highlight empathize with the plight of individuals like this young man 
individuals who had been continually downtrodden um, and with little prospect of success in a society or societies that were burgeoning from the top down, that we saw that wealth was apparently um, at an arm's length from many people. And I remember saying in the khutbah, yes, we know the position of the sunnah. We know about um, the prohibition of revolting. And that, that, that remains. Um, we know what the scholarly advices were. We look in Kitab al-Fitan of Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari. And there are a lot that um, is there of religious edicts, of, of, of historical perspectives that we need to um, look at and hold on to. But then also we've got to be careful, as often happens on the Dean, where you've got those who are saying, yeah, those who revolted are Kharajites, they're this, they're that. Some of them don't even know that history. Some of them were just frustrated in that particular instance. But using the Dean to bash other individuals over the head. And this was being done um, in some areas, not all. Now, am I going to say want to speak on one side or the other? No, I want to just talk about what was taking place at that particular time and how we dealt with it and how we viewed it. And we saw that the West showed keen interest in this. We were looking on the news, um, uh, Tahrir Square in Egypt and the type of narratives that were there, the interference that was coming from Western powers into Muslim lands to try and assist even via social media with this over overthrow of regimes. Okay, and we know this is something that is has, has been the purview of of the West for many many decades now, interfering in other states in South America, in the Middle East, and that's gone on. And then we have to say a lesson for the West is this: ten years on, look at what has plagued Western societies with protests, riots, death, the storming of the cap of Capitol Hill just over two weeks ago. So that famous phrase, chickens come home to roost, while the West was looking in at Middle Eastern countries, Arab countries, Muslim countries around the world and say, this is a good thing. This Arab revolt is a good thing. When it's come back to haunt them on their own doorsteps, right up to seeing for the first time in history, the biggest democracy, if you like, or most powerful democracy being the US, being stormed in the way it was that you had their own people looking to overthrow government on behalf of a leader who instigated that, they really need, they really need to have a period of self-reflection. And I would say the hypocrisy of the democracy that they are saying will save and elevate and modernize um, other lands, other peoples to themselves. That's a very, very poignant lesson if only mm. those in the West would sit and reflect. Mm. But I, just quickly, Wa alaikum salam, Sister Asma, Badria, Lala Rook, Shabnam, and Farah. Wa alaikum salam, Rahmatullah, Barakatuh, Jazakallah Khair for joining us. But you see, I think the, the, the issue is that, okay. So we can look at democracy as a system and say, actually, yeah, uh, you know, I think was it uh, Churchill who said, look, it's it's not the best of systems, but it's the best of the worst that we've got, sort of thing, right? So when you look at the democracy and the democratic idea of how people can involve and engage in doing certain things, but ultimately, those that are pushing these ideas, their idea isn't for democracy, really. It's it's raw, it's about power. It's about resources. It's about ensuring that, um, you know, uh, that national interests are, are put in, in first and first foremost. So does that not taint, just playing the, the advocate here, does that not taint the, the principles of democracy because of the way that it gets applied? Uh, absolutely, it does. But what it also shows um, us as well is that, man-made constructs are flawed and man-made constructs where you've got a particular society or particular um, thought or narrative being imposed on others 
who have not sought it, who have not sought it. Okay, there may be elements within society, those societies that have sought it. They haven't sought it, but it's been imposed upon them. And we've seen that where democracy has been um, introduced and it has yielded parties that the West has not liked, they haven't recognised those parties. And instead, they've gone in and overthrown those parties. And I don't want to get into too much detail, but we, we saw what happened in Egypt. We saw what happened when a, dem a democracy or democratic process was instituted with um, a president that was elected for the first time. We saw that. And we saw that it was something that was abhorred and despised by the West and other societies as well. And we saw the usurping or the overthrow. So I'm not going to get into that. I'm talking about the facts here. It's a very sensitive issue. So when we're talking about hypocrisy, um, as I say hypocrisy, when we're talking about democracy, we've got to ask ourselves, who's democracy? What version of democracy? Why that system as opposed to another system? And while we, I don't want to keep it on the political um, premise, my PhD is in polit political studies, I'm quite comfortable to speak in this particular um, realm. What I want us to look at is where our focus should be. Because mm. so many place their hopes in a system to deliver the justice that we want. And it often falls short. That system often falls short, leaving us despondent from a Western context, leading to rebellion in some instances. Um, and we end up in a worse situation. So when we look now, 10 years on, at those particular societies, to where we are now, a lot can be asked, what has changed? When we refer back to the annals of history and the hadith that speak about revolting, we see that many, all in fact, of what is said there came to pass and is true. When we see what happens when revolting in that particular way. So what should we be looking at in that instance? Why is it hope springs eternal? I'm not saying we should be pacifists. I'm not saying that we should just put our heads in the sand and we should remain silent and everything like that. But we have guidance about enjoying good, forbidden evil, the inability to do that, hating in the heart um, in, in that particular way. But then also knowing, OK, how do we understand about hoping in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How do we how do we understand that? We've spoken and touched yeah. upon that in previous um, shows, having that hope, that tawakkal in Allah, no matter what society we're living in, no matter what system is mm. present or prevalent at that particular time. Well, I, just before we get into into that bit, Dr. Abdul Haq, uh, there's, there's an element there around consequences, right? So, you know, we saw, you know, the leader of America stand, make a speech, uh, a whole revolution, revolutionary kind of rabble ends up. Uh, and as a consequence of that, uh, five people lost their lives on that day. You know, uh, one police officer and four sort of people in that in that melee that was there. So there is an element of consequence that comes from mm. that behaviour, and there is a sense of not so much that the consequence is based on one individual doing something, although they have very much instigated it. Every individual is responsible for their own right. action, right. and so everyone who sort of took part on it has a share in it. And this is something that doesn't get looked at. It's quite easy to say, you know, at a particular ruler or a leader and say, well, look at how that individual is behaving. But not really consider the consequences of our own actions and our own behavior in understanding what that is. Because I think, like you said, you know, that, that, that person in Tunisia got to a stage where they felt there was no alternative that there is no other way that I'm going to get heard or draw attention to my plight without taking such a drastic action and the consequence of that as well. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't on a whim and you don't do such a thing on a whim. You know, so there's a whole host of understanding what, what the wisdom 
behind certain ways of doing things and understanding that whatever actions we take uh whatever because there's at least one consequence of whatever we do that we are wholly responsible for that absolutely and i think that when there's despair there is an impaired reaction impaired understanding and those individuals should not be judged upon that impaired understanding within its context. What do I mean by that? Do you compare this individual, this young man who self-immolated to the extremists, the violent extremists, no. the terrorists? No, no, no. no, no. It, their, their understanding oh, it, it, is impaired. Yeah, their, impa yeah. their understanding is impaired, um, but uh, often that's a willful impairment. OK, because they can be brought back. There is a counter narrative that is actually there. This young man who self-immolated was, was out of desperation at the humiliation that he faced day in, day out, on, um, but at the hands of the authorities, the police in this particular instance. And he didn't, he didn't harm them, but he chose to harm himself. Um, that, and we, we can't speak to that in the sense where we denigrate this individual. We know that suicide is not permissible um, in Islam in this instance, in the same way on the wider scale, that revolting um, against the rulers in, a, in the context that we understand from the deen is not permissible in, in that instance as well. But again, condemning outright without understanding, without empathy of what has transpired is uh, I think a very, very harsh form of judging despite having maybe evidence in the dean on your side in that particular instance empathy is required um i think now are these societies better off or worse off than they 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 were first and foremost it's for those who are living within to comment on that for us to speak from an outsider perspective looking in i think will be um too judgmental from us in, in that instance. It would be an academic exercise. It would be an academic exercise. It would be very much a, an abstract idea of right. looking into it. Right. Um, and I think you're, you're right in the sense that, you know, um, whatever sort of came from that. But I think, like you said, I think people get into certain situations and then an idea becomes the ideal. Right? So when things happened in Tunisia, then there were other neighboring countries that thought, you know what, if we, we could give this a go. We can see something different. And I think it was um, Sister Maryam who just put up there. Uh, oh, by the way, Walaikum Assalam, Mr. Wong, and uh, Walaikum Assalam, Jordan M. for joining us this evening. Um, so when we um, look at kind of that knock on effect, it's not so much that. Uh, People are looking for that. They are looking for some kind of relief, some kind of removal of uh, forms of oppression. So Sister Mariam, I think it was Sister Mariam just asked before about what do you do when the authorities are oppressive upon you? What do you do when the rule is, is hardship uh, or even kingship? And, and this is something that challenges the, the, the principles of Islam. What, where is it? Like there, sorry, yes, thank you, uh, husband. So are there scenarios where protesting or revolting are allowed? And what do you do if a leader is oppressive? The evidence is there and it's, and it's a difficult and often bitten, a bitter uh, pill to swallow. And we have the um, narrations. And I remember when we used to read these um, hadith when I first came to the Dean, um, coming from a very rebellious nature um, ourselves and kicking against the system when the riots were in Brixton, when the riots were in Toxteth and Tottenham. And then you had 2011, you had the riots across the country. Obviously, we were Muslim established um, as Muslims in that instance. I was um, living abroad. But going back to before I was a Muslim, when the riots were kicking off, um, we were there. We, we were, some of us were there. Some of us were on the outskirts. Some of us just like, yep, this has to happen. And always there was that vein to buck the trend in the system. Coming to the Dean and learning uh, about these narrations was an eye-opener open, to me about not to revolt um, if so long as the ruler establishes the prayer in the land that they're in, um, not to revolt 
unless there's kufa uh, kufa bawahan um, the clear disbelief we're talking itikadi um and uh, actions that lead to um disbelief now you'll see the whole argument between um uh, those on the sunnah and the takfiri ideology where the latter will be saying no um clear disbelief has appeared it's permissible to revolt there's another caveat in that instance that um if there is clear disbelief and that is not established by the scholars in that particular instance and that's another thing because they denigrate the scholars by saying they're start scholars for dollars to basically nullify them so that they can continue with this um this labeling of rulers to be disbelievers you'll then see if there's the, the clear disbelief that they keep saying there there's got to be an ability that in enjoining or overthrowing rulership that there is that likelihood the strong likelihood possibility and means to establish peace and safety there's good that's a condition you can't just overthrow and have more bloodshed and disorder like what we've seen in libya like what we've seen in syria like what we've seen in in yemen like i can go on there's got to be and if you see what the scholars say in this instance there has to be the ability to establish order as a, uh, as a result of the overthrow that hasn't been there in any single case let alone yeah. the, the 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 clear evidence that particular rulers are not muslim so when you look at these things here it evokes a lot of emotion amongst um muslims ordinary lay people those to the extreme those to the other polarization it it throws up a lot of of negativity and conflict because emotions overtake what the revelation and the premise of the revelation and the sunnah says okay it happens so often so we need to go back to that and one of the things that we can there can be a hue and cry about something but what does the deen legislate what does the sunnah legislate what does the context legislate so if you know for example let's say there is an example that there's leadership that isn't muslim those who are saying they are going to revolt do they have the means to establish safety security and order in the land right. the answer is no we've, 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 it, it's just it hasn't been there it just hasn't yeah just there's no there's no example of it in that in that particular way and like you said even when there has been a, a democratic process put into place uh walikum assalam mukit and uh, walikum assalam still speaks um when we've seen those things come into it um external agencies have sought to overthrow them and have sought to to remove them and replace them with that which suits their their own national and personal uh, you know their, their 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 own agenda so yeah we've not seen an example of that there isn't there isn't an example of that and put wind it back um that where were the ulama who were uh, making such um edicts to go and revolt and yes there is disbelief here and that you should go and um, why yeah sister mariam where you should go and um revolt you haven't seen that from from bona fide ulama from scholars you know and and to mm. accuse them of saying no they're scholars for dollars they're going to stick by the regime and everything like that we need an evidence in that particular instance um and we know about advice when you are advising rulership it should be done in private we've seen the 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 fitness of what has taken place when it's been politicized when it's been to rabble rouse or to 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 raise the masses and everything again this is not from the sunnah and others might not like this hearing this but then we've got the western construct that we're looking at now the western context we've seen now they've tried in it and done it in in a, a similar way and often okay they might say in the past we had this revolution that revolution overthrown leadership and then order came in but the, that then that was overthrown in a particular uh, similar way as well so we've got to really look again not to be pacifist but to say okay how is change evoked okay and we know that that common mantra that we get the rulers that we deserve goodness me look at america goodness me look at the uk let's look at other lands let's look at the leaders awful as they are 
in Western societies that we're talking about in this, in this particular instance. Let's look at the society. Our leaders are reflective of the society and vice versa. And that's something that we, we need to look at. But now I'll come back to what I was um, starting upon uh, just before we touched upon this in more detail. How are we to be in whatever society we are living in? Oppressive, liberal, conservative, democratic, and I say conservative, socially conservative, democratic, communist. As Muslims, what is a, upon us in such societal constructs? And I'm asking that question. I want everyone to reflect mm. upon that. What is upon us? And wherever we are, we've yeah. got to stand, stand up against oppression. We, that's one thing. We've got to stand up against oppression. The question is, how then do we stand up against oppression? What do we have? I've bought the hadith about enjoying good and forbidden evil being on three levels. So that's, that's one instance. Mm. How do we apply it ourselves? When there is fitan, fitna in the land, what were the prophetic statements, pronouncements regarding that? Do we act upon that? So we have to ask those questions, really. We have to ask those questions wherever we are, whatever climes we are living in. And we don't. When you see us as a collective, Muslims as a collective, there's no uniformity on the whole. We see uh, oppression in other societies of the Uyghurs, for example, we've mentioned this before. And we've got non-Muslims raising voices and condemning it collectively in some quarters, not all. We don't see the same amongst us as Muslims, except in isolated circumstances. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what's going on there? Because if that can happen to the Uyghurs, we saw what happened in Bosnia. We saw what happened in Bosnia. And many of us responded in the 90s. Many of us responded. And don't get me wrong, that's me. I'm saying, up we go, off to China, jihad. I'm not saying that. But e even, even, with, even with our voices, a concerted, consistent effort, what, where is that? Where is that? What, again, the question I'm asking, uh, yeah. what is our position at various levels in society? What is our position? Being mute is the least of them if we're hating it in our heart. But you can't revert to that in the first instance. You've got to see, can I do something in, with my hands? Can I raise funds? Can I do this? Can I do that? If I can't, can I speak about it? Can I write about it? Can I draw people's attention to it? Okay, mm. using the tongue. Well, if that's going to cause so us harm, yeah. which it might do, it might do in some societies, then we can only hate it in our heart, which is the weakest of man. Yes, Shab Shabnam is saying it requires a level yeah. of getting out of your own comfort zone in order to stand up against injustice and oppression. And many of us don't want to get out of our, um, our own comfort zones. But again, it's we have to move with what is measured and what is the prophetic guidance in this instance. Because when we go outside of that, remember, oppression is taking something from its correct place and putting it somewhere else. So if we react in a way that in itself is oppression because we're responding in a way that we are not supposed to, that's oppression at a different level. Mm. Yeah, and we, we, like you said, we've seen that. Um, even like you said, even if you look at something like the US Capitol Hill, five, five people, five people dying, passing away because mm. of, you know, uh, within a few hours, within a few hours of something happening, Five people uh, died needlessly, irrespective of, of whatever their views were and so on and so forth, you know. Um, so the Hello Thursday thing there, the ones who are dependent on China cannot say anything opposing the, uh, the CCP, otherwise their whole infrastructure will collapse. So I think what uh, Hello Thursday is alluding to there is the, um, you know, influence, right? That there is influence and there are other, other um, uh, factors on the table that need to be considered before these negotiations can happen. And uh, we seem to be kind of caught in this kind of web of, uh, you know, strings that you get pulled this way, you get pulled that way, uh, depending on 
what your national interests are or your agenda is compared to what is the, the right thing to do. Because like you said, you know, you can talk about uh, democracy being for the rights of the people in order to liberate and give people their rights. But when you see a blatant abuse of that liberation, your blatant abuse of human rights, whichever way you cut it and look at it, uh, nothing, there's no outrage and nothing spoken out about it. Uh, and we saw it even, you know, when the, the last administration left, it was almost like a sign of defiance to call out China on it. Like, here, you can tidy up this mess now, rather than this is the right thing to do. So again, it becomes this uh, political football that suits the need when it does, but doesn't when it doesn't. So what, where does that, that, that knowledge then fall apart that, that causes these kind of uh, deviation from the path which we should be upon. I, I think it's quite deep lying, but it's easy to um, rectify. Um, when we look at Tawheed, that's unifying, that's monotheism. Okay, Allah's lordship, he's one ship, uh, he's oneness, sorry. Um, uh, aspects of Ibadah, Tawheed al Ibadah. There's that unification there. When we look at what is um, enjoined upon us throughout this deen, it's unification. When we look at where we are now as Muslims, as societies, we're disparate. Um, division, as we're seeing it, will never lead to rectification and unity. It just won't. We see how other people's rights are neglected and seldom spoken about because it's so remote to us. But we see what's happening in the UK, America, other Western societies where individuals are protesting about their rights, their freedoms being infringed upon because they're having to wear the mask, because they're having to um, socially um, isolate um, lockdowns. And you can see individuals, what are they doing? The hedonism that we're seeing at the moment with these huge parties and no mask wearing and everyone thinking and um, saying, no, we're, we're free, this is what we have to do. This is freedom to individuals, even if it's at the point of dying um, because we're neglecting medical um, advice regarding COVID-19. This shows uh, the distorted um, understanding that some have regarding freedom and what they would do for the pursuit of the type of freedom that they are um, pursuing. Violating mm. laws, violating um, um, protocols, um, knowing that, and, and, and that self-centered inward looking um, a drive that, no, I have to be free. So I'm not going to wear the mask. I'm going to go out and rave and do everything I have to do, then come home and, oh, actually I might kill my grandmother. I might kill my father or my mother because I, I'm asymptomatic, but I've got COVID. And I, because I wanted to be free, I went and did what I did and I've infected a member of the family. Mm. All in the so name again, of, all in the name of yeah. freedom. So it's the consequences again, or like you said, the, the, the after effects of taking that behavior, of taking that action mm. without it coming from a solid, solid sort of foundation. And I think the, the issue that we're all kind of facing is, I, I, to be honest with you, I think it's kind of interesting how um, some people, yeah, I think uh, Jordan's kind of mentioned it there, unbelievable how people are rebelling over wearing masks, you know? You, you're not talking about a lifetime of it, you know? <laughs> you know, when you talk about sort of the, the experiences that you've had as a kid and how things are, what they are, um, you know, we, we, we've been through this kind of, we've been through all sorts of different forms of oppression. All we've been asked to do is, is to put on a mask. And that's, you know, that's making people um, throw their hands up in the air and like not, not, not take it anymore. And you're talking about months and we're talking about grown-up adults. You know, we're not hearing the children kind of doing this sort of stuff. We're talking about adult, mature people who are not able to accept a, a temporary situation. Let's be honest, that's what it is of being able to manage and overcome uh, something, like you said, that is going to affect the most vulnerable in our society, in our community. 
uh, walaikum salam Ibrahim and uh, yeah as sister said is almost like a niqabi in the mosque mashallah it's it's true uh, you know there was a whole hoo-ha about uh, that but anyway subhanallah I think the the issue is that that um, how do you define that freedom then because somebody else has come on sorry I just I just missed it Hassan jazakallah khair if you put it back up again stillness, that yeah, this stillness idea of freedom it, yeah. is, is an illusion about an, yes. being an illusion yeah so but, but what, I what disagree. is freedom I, then? So, I disagree with um, stillness in that uh, to an extent. Um, uh, the comment they made towards the end that Alhamdulillah, um, we're, we're um, Muslim. Okay. St uh, freedom being an illusion um, because everyone is imprisoned or serve, ser in servitude to some something. I agree with that. But I want to recontextualize that. Being a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ultimate freedom and i'm saying i'm speaking as a convert i'm speaking as a convert the amount of things that i was in servitude to as a non-muslim with, with regards to my whims and my desires as we know the, the surah that i and i think it's surah as zuma um or in, about he who takes his um desires as ilah his ilah as he's god um and allah mm -hmm. seeing him as such left him astray in that instance and those of us who have converted know about the freedom that Islam brings, that, um, that, that, ser that servitude to the creator. Think about that. To the creator of all, al-Khaliq, he who has created us. That's where the true freedom, which is not an illusion, actually lies. Those of us who are looking at what's taking place in, in the world at the moment, and take comfort at being Muslim, that we turn to Allah knowing that all of this is within his graft, everything. How reassuring is that? How um, uplifting is that? How unrestricting is that? And while everyone's waiting, there's a vaccine and there's an argument about the veracity and efficacy of the vaccine and um, this conspiracy and this complacency, and then we just put the prayer rug down and Allahu Akbar, and we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's Allah ultimate Allah. freedom. That is ultimate freedom. Mm. SubhanAllah. I, I read something a few weeks ago and it just prompted me to think of it. Uh, and it goes along the lines of, um, for your comment, uh, Stillness Speaks, um, is that the fact that the mountains are still holding the earth together shows us the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, that um, we are kind of sometimes become that myopic thinking, you know, small thinking. We become so inward looking and so small in the world that becomes so big for us. We forget to be what the shaitan promised he would try and prove to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are indeed amongst the most ungrateful because that, that is what he, his, his, his plight is to do. And um, we are kind of stuck in this scenario now where we are seeing people, like you said, uh, you know, that simply putting on a mask is taking away an, es an element of freedom without realizing the consequences and the effect of it. But I think maybe, is it down to not reflecting inwardly enough to understand what freedom really means to ourselves? Is it, is it a, a misunderstanding of where, not so much of our purpose is, but where our direction is, or what we should be doing with ourselves? Where, where does this kind of split off people and pull people away? It's, it's about, again, it's about context as well as constructs. Like those who are feeling restricted by the mask, although knowing from medical advice that the mask is one of the precautions um, against uh, contracting COVID and if you're ill from spreading it to others. So others feel restricted and imprisoned by it. However, they would not understand and refused to understand our Muslim sisters who chose to wear the veil, 
and that the veil was a liberating um, and freeing act for them because they were wearing that to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in doing that, it removed them from the constraints and gaze and um, standards of society where everything was very visual, where everything was very um, uh, superficial with regards to aesthetics and how you look and everything like this. So when you juxtapose those two there and you see that the Muslim woman was wearing the veil and it freed and liberated her, but those who were against that were saying, no, it's not, it's oppressing her. And she'd say, no, it isn't. I'm choosing to wear the veil because it's liberating. And many converts have done this. Many convert women, um, obviously women, have chosen the veil in that particular instance. And now you see most of the world having the mask imposed upon them and they're finding it oppressive in that particular instance. Is any wisdom being gained from this to see one juxtaposition uh, against the other to say, well, hold on a minute, should we take a lesson from the, a, a leaf from the book of the Muslim woman as to why this is something that they do and they're liberating, it's a liberating effect, even though we're not Muslim? Is there a lesson to be learned from that? No, because the hypocrisy that is there behind the very premise for chastising the niqab because of the hypocrisy there. France, for example, they still upheld the ban on wearing the niqab, but they made it mandatory to wear the mask. Come on. Allah, yeah. You see, I think that the issue is around these ideas of, um, of around knowing what needs to be done. Yeah, so uh, I'm a bit of a sci-fi kind of guy. So I enjoy my sci-fi stuff. So, you know, like when I look at the stuff, like they want to go to Mars, Let's say they want to terraform Mars. There's so many factors that haven't even been thought of and considered. It's unbelievable. The number of variables are just so huge. It, you know, because the, the technology, the understanding, the knowledge, it doesn't exist. It just mm. doesn't exist. Uh, and it doesn't exist because we can't even handle this planet, never mind moving on to somewhere else. But I think as humans... I'm talking generally overall. You know, we, we get a certain type of knowledge and we become, as I mentioned, we become haughty. You know, we become uh, full of ego or pride or whatever it might be. And it makes us believe that we kind of know what's best or we know what's better. And we see that to an extreme when we look at the Fir'aun and, and other such people like that. That we kind of lose ourselves in this idea that you know, like, for example, you know, somebody said, well, you know, it's the information age. We have everything, all the information we need. Yeah, we have access to all the information that we currently have. We don't have access to all the information full stop. Mm. And so I think there's, there's an element there of, of that sort of stock taking, because that's what this pandemic has done. There was a comment on there that this pandemic has highlighted the hypocrisy, uh, the inequalities, and the, the, the standards that are held up for certain members of our society and not for others. And I think as, as Muslims, it's been a, a, an element, alhamdulillah, a blessing of, of deep reflection. And, and I think it's, it's where do we progress from that? Like you said, you know, we, we can get the Muslim, we can put it down and we can pray throughout the night. But where, where else are we feeding ourselves, feeding our souls in that sense to, to overcome uh, or to at least see the wisdom in what is going on around us so that ultimately we attain taqwa and we attain closeness to Allah SWT. I, I remember reading an ayat, and I, I can't recall it now, but I remember um, it was a few Ramadans ago, and it was so profound in the translation, the, the meaning is there, where Allah said, we shall progress them towards their own destruction. And I paused on those words and thought, subhanAllah, we will... Progress means advancement, okay? We yeah. will progress them towards their own destruction. And I looked at that and I said, progress has been made technologically um, in so many areas, that the age that we're yeah. living in. And mm. with that progress, we have hastened towards destructive tendencies, towards our environment, towards 
the moral decay in society. Um, and I thought, I, I wanted to get the Arabic of it and, and some, um, uh, those I've put it on Facebook and some um, basically um, gave the translation, but it, 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 um, they explained it. But that, that, it meant that we shall progress them towards their own destruction. Imagine it, when you speak of pro progress to everyone, progress means advancement but towards destruction progress oh, yeah. it's almost like an oxymoron but how can you progress towards destruction but the english translation the rendering into english was just that we shall progress them towards their own destruction and only allah's words um are have complete truth and when you look at that we are we are, we're progressing mm -hmm. and where we're going is towards destruction with the progress and technology and advancement that we are making. Yeah, the steady march that, that leads us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like you said, you know, uh, you, we can literally have, have our devices with us uh, and then 40 minutes later, we're like, what, what have I done? Nothing, but I've just been scrolling through stuff, looking at stuff. Uh, and 40 minutes can achieve a lot in the sense of the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or at least the quality family time, etc. whatever it might be, uh, learning, educating yourself, whether it's academic or otherwise. There is so much that can be achieved. And I think, I think, um, I think I've mentioned it before as well, Dr. Abdul Haq, you know, like when, when we were younger, and I remember, you know, the hadith came out on a CD, and it kind of, whoa, you know, the whole of Sahih Bukhari was on a CD and you didn't need that collection of books, you know. But it suddenly became too easy. Do you understand? So it's like, well, if it's that easy, I'll, I'll do it later, you know. And I'll tell you a, a marketing ploy that actually worked. So this was in, in McDonald's when they started to do their, um, their, their, their salad. They did like a healthy salad. So what they found was as soon as they did the salad, they sold more burgers because people would come in and go, well, the option's there, so I can do it tomorrow. So I'll do it tomorrow. So today, I'll have the burger. And then they, they kept doing that, and the sale of the burgers went up, and the salad didn't really take off. But they kept the salad in because it, it, it's there. Do you understand? It's that, right. it's that idea of it's, it's at hand. I've got it. I can do it whenever I like. You kind of... Right. Uh, convince ourselves of this reality right and not realize how it's actually it's slipping away from us when, and when you if you look at the constructs today if you look at what's happening today when there wasn't the pandemic and the opportunity to rave and go out and go crazy was there everyone's like i can do it tomorrow i can do it next week i don't need to go out mm. today now there's that incessant need that we need to get that now when we want it because it's been restricted yeah. from them. Because it's my right, because it's, this is my freedom to do such a thing, to behave in such a way, to, to act out and to fulfill my desires in this particular way. SubhanAllah. And it is, it's, it's that um, tripping over ourselves. But again, the, 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 the other thing is, I suppose, is that uh, society sort of has created these ideas of freedom and, and, and actions that are freedom. So if you do this, you're free to do this, you're free to do this, you're free to do this. So I suppose what we're not doing enough of really is sort of looking, stepping back and sort of saying, how do we choose and define freedom for ourselves as Muslims? You know, how, how is that defined for us? How is it that we uphold that within ourselves and instill that within ourselves and in those whom we love in a way where it is uh, beneficial for ourselves. Like you said, you know, there's a time for those who took a step back and reflected and there are time for those who kind of just waiting for that opportunity, you know, lockdown's going to open up and then boom, you know, it's like Ramadan sometimes, you know, as soon as Eid happens, that's it, you know, the shaitan is out and everything else is as well. Astaghfirullah. Walaikum salam Octavia. So, um, uh, so it's this I think we kind of convince ourselves or we tell ourselves these stories and we start to warp ourselves into into what we are Sister Fatima is saying that you know we kind of uh, it kind of showed our weaknesses and our flaws 
uh, Sister Mariam saying that, that people are too obsessed with the concept of freedom and almost like they're insecure at how much freedom they have and constantly trying to prove that they're free. And, you know, even though we're on screens continuously in the sense that we socialize or work or all the rest of it, we're, we're not taking time to, to be, you know, with, with Allah in that sense. What I mean by that is, you know, in, in the sense of acts of worship and to do things like that. Uh, sister Shabnam saying something there. Uh, Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, the reverse sister. Sorry, Dr. Bluhak, please. Go ahead. No, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm listening and I'm, I'm seeing the comments there. And, and as Sister Shabna said, um, the freedom, what we do with our, free, our, our space, our time, our, our freedom, um, is it positive, is it negative? Whether that's on an individual basis or it's a collective basis, we have all got time, we've all got freedom, especially as Muslims. We have um, Muslim... Uh, brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, okay? But they have that degree of freedom, spiritually, spiritually mentally. Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, the time that he spent in prison, and he was prolific in his writing, and we have his works with us even now. So what are those constraints or confines that we are saying are inhibiting us? And are we learning from those who have been incarcerated from our salaf. When we look at non-Muslims, for example, Nelson Mandela, 26 years imprisoned, okay? And what that led to, what is constraint? What is imprisonment? What is freedom? What does hope have to do with all of that? so far as it comes to Muslims and non-Muslims, because without hope, there's only despair. With despair, there is doom and despondency. And we know as Muslims that to have that hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an ultimate element of our being that gives us that freedom in all circumstances, in all circumstances. Yeah. And many who endured and went through the Arab Spring came to that conclusion as well. Many returned worshiping yeah. Allah, understanding the, the environments that they were living in and understanding that moving in a particular direction that is against what has been legislated is only causing further oppression along the line with heavier securitization, repression, and the like. Yes, yeah. It's a very tough situation, though, Dr. Abdelhaq, because you're already oppressed, but your means of removing that oppression, I suppose we look at it from a, a physical, tangible thing, right? Like, what are you going to do about it, right? right. Rather than uh, what what should I be doing full stop? Uh, and I think there's this kind of urgency that gets put in there, you know, and I think maybe that is, you know, maybe for a lot of people, you know, the, the sense of mortality, you know, that life could end any moment. So why should I wear a mask and, and stay at home? Why not just go and, uh, and, and that hedonistic kind of view or just maybe, you know, like go and live a fulfilled life and, when I drop dead, I drop dead. So maybe there is that kind of underlying fear or, or whatever it is. But it, again, it, it, it's in a state of, of loss. It's in a state of, of being in a place where we don't, we don't really know ourselves. You know, we haven't really considered where we come from and the purpose of our, of our creation. And, you know, even to like, to con like just to look up towards the sky and contemplate about the number of the stars that there are, the number of stars. You know, it's it, if you sit and ponder upon it, it kind of blows your mind. You know, it it, it, it just that moment of reflection, and I mean real reflection, not like twenty five seconds of it, and sort of like, but to really deeply contemplate and the fact that the sky has no seeds or pillars that holds it up, and this is just one planet in one solar system amongst 
many, many million, if not billion. And I think that, we don't... Good, it's a very good and profound observation. And for us as Muslims, looking at that, we know that there is a greater um, state of being and an afterlife. And that this, this title, the last word in this title is eternal. And we believe in eternity. Those who don't believe in eternity are going to act in ways to try and satiate themselves in every shape or form, no matter how hedonistic it might be in this particular life, because they do not see an eternity. They look at the stars in the sky, uh, in, this, in the sky, and they do not reflect and contemplate that Allah has made this for us, the, um, mankind, that that's been made for us in this particular instance. We, if we're looking at things um, as many of us do, that it's the it's the finite and that's it, then we've imprisoned ourselves. Those of us who know, as the Muslims do, that Allah is infinite and that there is an eternity that will go on forever and ever beyond the life that we've got here, it's, it's virtually impossible for us to be imprisoned. It's virtually impossible for us to not feel free because we know that the time that we are in, the lives that we're leading are temporary. We know that the abode here is temporary. No, but you love the life of this world when the hereafter is better for you. We know this, Muslims know this. So yes, hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. There is the eternity. There is the infinite, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we are finite. And we cannot comprehend the infinite. We can only comprehend what is finite. And if we are non-Muslims, we cannot understand what infinite is. And that is imprisonment in itself. And in that, there is no hope. And in that, there is no eternity. And, and even the idea of spring, that eternal in the sense of the beauty, the strength, the non-aging, the remaining continuously fresh uh, and being able to enjoy that eternity. Because as we see, you know, there are many difficulties that reach us as, as in this form as human beings when we, when we become ill, when we become a certain age, you know, the, the impact it has and the the long-lasting effect and the regression of of of, our, of ourselves. So, astaghfirullah, it's uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah that we have this, Dr. Abdul Haq, alhamdulillah. And what do we say, though, as well? Let's look at you saying about many of us are dying of COVID and other things. And what do the non-Muslims say to the one that's died or about the one that's died? Rest in peace, okay? Rest mm -hmm. in peace. What do we as Muslims say when we hear about the death of other Muslims? We say what is a, a verse of the yes, verse of the Quran. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. From Allah we come, and to Him we will return. The infinite. We are going there. Okay, to Him we will return. So we know there is a journey from whence we've come, and a journey to where we're going. How is that? So that journey, there's that trajectory that is continuing, that pathways that's continuing from the one that created us back to the one that created us. Yeah. If, is that not freedom? <laughs> yeah, it's like a dip in it. You kind of come, boom, back in the panela, you know. Uh, the Shabnam, uh, live, live in the moment and use it productively. Our limited freedom at this moment right now is allowing us to gather together and to be surrounded by the company of angels. Alhamdulillah. All right, inshallah. Um, yeah, so hope springs eternal. Jazakallah khair for your time this evening, Dr. Abdul Haq. I understand that this is, this is very late for you. Uh, sisters and brothers who are out there, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Let us know where you're tuning in from as well. It, it's always good to see, inshallah. Um, 
it's kind of a crazy kind of time for all of us. It's just nice to see where you're all tuning in from, inshallah, where you're joining us in. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make these words beneficial, inshallah. And uh, subhanallah, like I said, you know, our, our du'as for each other, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who answers them. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to remain sincere, pure, upon the haqq, upon, upon his nur, and upon the, gui- upon the guided straight way, inshallah, mm-hmm. in this life and the hereafter. And uh, inshallah ta'ala, we will join you inshallah uh, next week, inshallah. Uh, Dr. Abdul Haq, any closing remarks, please? No, just Jazakallah khair, Sister Badia from London, um, uh, brothers and sisters who join us every week. Jazakallah khaira. Um, really, we're free. Continue to be free. And know that you have five moments in the day when you can really dive into that freedom in our salah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Disconnected from this world and connected yeah. to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. So there's somebody wrote snowy Derbyshire and then somebody at snow in Toronto. And I think there's a bit more snow in Toronto than there is in Derbyshire. But <laughs> Jazakallah khair. Thank you all very much. Barakallah for all of you tuning in. Uh, may Allah bless you. Uh, may Allah guide us all. May Allah bless all those sisters and brothers who supported this organization of IDC and Newcastle uh, Fast FM. And all those, because uh, a dear brother, there was a dear, dear brother of ours. A uh, fellow um, volunteer uh, who passed away uh, two weeks ago, uh, Sudanese brother, mashallah. May Allah bless him with Jannah. May Allah bless him with, with ease in his place. And all those who have gone, all of those who have gone before us, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them with that which is an ease and a rahmah. And, uh, it, you know, our time comes when it comes. And like you said, inna lillahi wa inna from Allah we come and to Allah we return. Jazakallah uh, for all your comments. And inshallah ta'ala, we will join you uh, next Monday, inshallah, 7.30 p.m. GMT. And we look forward to catching up with you then. So from myself, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum.